I took a minute or two to just try to say to the to folks who are not necessarily in this room that in ways that it doesn't seem to make sense, we are still able to be a part of each other in the, um, just in the, in the way that the Lord is doing things at this day and time. I, I don't understand how in the world all of this technology works, but we can't all be here all on the same day and in the same room. But there are times in coming into these Sundays, and I, I know Pastor Rick has this since many times, I do very profoundly, very deeply, that the Lord will sometimes put in my heart some things to say that go beyond the ones just in this room, that somehow there is something that he's wanting to say to folks out there. I was looking around to see if Sammy and Tex, and they're, they're here. Last Sunday afternoon, I got a text from Sammy at home, and he said, David, I just wanted to let you know that, that we are in an airport in the middle of Brazil. The jungles, are, I, I took it to mean jungles, crocodiles, giant mosquitoes, all kinds of stuff. Sammy and Tex trying to fight through, but he said, I was able to watch, we were able to watch some of the live streaming or some of the, the serve, the Alamo City service this morning and where we were. He was getting on a plane to fly to central or another part, capital of Brazil to, to preach that evening. We don't know how all that works, but I tell you, it's just an amazing thing. I, I want to read you, uh, if I can find it this morning. After the early service, Paul Kohler, who is, uh, he and his dear wife been a part of Alamo City for years in times past. They, they don't live here anymore, but th this, is what, this is what he said just a few minutes ago. I hosted a watch party on Facebook, and people from all over joined to listen to the message. There were two upper-level leaders from different parts of India, the missionary leader of a large mission ministry in Kenya, a missionary couple in Scotland, another missionary in Spain, an immigrant friend from Mexico who lives in central Florida, an international missionary now living in Mobile, Alabama, a pastor's widow in Mobile, and others from Florida, Kansas City, and Nashville. Thank you for making this available online. Isn't that amazing? Uh, that, was, that was live last hour, and there will be, there will be many participating as well today. I, the scripture is very clear. We don't, we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, the writer of Hebrews says, and all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. This, this assembling of ourselves together, it's amazing. It just seems to be happening in another way, at another level with, with these little things right here. It's not the same as physically being present, but it's amazing how God does allow us to some way or another just look at that phone and feel like we're a part of wherever that is that that's happening and we're able to respond and be blessed by it. So those of you who are not here, and maybe we won't even meet up until we get to heaven one of these days, but you are a part of what's happening here. We welcome you, the Spirit of Jesus alive in you. We somehow sense alive in us as well. So amen. Just wanted you to know that. And um, 
Now, with that being said, there is a phrase that I just can't get out of my heart. It just keeps coming and keeps coming, and I feel like that we need to look at it one more time again today. And here is the phrase, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father. Each time in the New Testament when that phrase is used, it is always used with what is called the definite article in front of the noun promise, meaning it's not a promise, it's the promise. The promise of the Father, the Heavenly Father. Jesus references it. We'll look at Luke 24, 49. We'll look at Acts 1, 4 and Acts 2, 37, 33 and 37 and 30. Each of those places is spoken of the same way. Now, you look at your Bible and, you, you know, you probably got a whole bunch of promises marked in your Bible, right? Things the Lord has spoken to you at particular times in your life that you you knew came from him and hope rose up when you read it and you put a date by the side of it and you're standing on that promise. You're claiming that promise. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of promises in this Bible. But Jesus says, there is one promise that the Father makes that is greater than, more than, any of the other promises in the Bible. The word for promise used in the New Testament, the promise, the word for promise, is actually a legal term. And it, and it means that an individual is willing to allow himself to be legally bound in a court of law to deliver something to be done, or something to be given. It's that word, the promise of the Father. Now, that, that, that's, that's a mouthful. That's a mind-blowing statement. Out of all of the promises in the Bible, out of all the promises, what would the heavenly Father say? is the promise. Now, I want you just, just so we can stay together on this and, and you'll realize I'm not, I'm not trying to be controversial and I'm not trying to make stuff up. I want you to find in your copy of the Scripture, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. The setting is Jesus Christ raised from the dead. This isn't before the cross. This is after the cross. This is after he has shed his blood for your sins and my sins to forgive us and to set us free from the dominion of Satan. When we embrace by faith Jesus Christ's death for us, our debt is paid. Satan can no longer say, you owe me. You owe me. You owe me. No. Our response to the devil then is wrong. Jesus Christ paid my debt. 
among the last words Jesus spoke hanging from the cross. It was, it was an accounting word. The debt is paid. The tetelestai. The debt is paid. In other words, my sins, your sins, when our faith and trust is in what Jesus did for us on the cross, it means that with the shedding of his blood, my debt was paid and your debt was paid, and I am free. I don't owe Satan anything. I don't owe the prince of the power of the air one, one ounce of my energy. He can't control me unless I let him. But when I understand that the blood of Jesus set me free, the blood of Jesus bought me, bought my freedom, that I can stand with a sense of authority, that I'm nobody's boy, I'm nobody's, I'm nobody's servant other than the one whom I want to be the servant of, and that is Jesus the Christ. But that wasn't the promise. Jesus is speaking after. He's, he's addressing these men, the ones who had followed him, and look at what he says in Luke 24. He's raised from the dead. The cross is in the past. The victory of the cross accomplished. And he says in verse 49, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Some way or another, there was a correlation between the promise of the Father to you and you being clothed with power from on high. Let's see where else it shows up. Turn all the way over to the book of Acts. You'll miss, you'll go from Luke, Gospel of John in between, book of Acts. Here it comes again. Jesus raised from the dead, cross in the past. To these he also, verse 3, presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. The literal rendering there is not as it's written in English. English is a translation. But it literally reads to wait for the promise of the Father. You wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized, drenched with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest part of the earth. There again, there was the correlation between the promise of the Father and power coming to those who have their faith in Jesus. The ones who were listening to Jesus speak on this day were the ones who had watched him be crucified. They understood why he was dying. For 40 days he had taught on the 
subject of the kingdom of God. And certainly during the course of that, he took them back to Isaiah 53, that he bore in his body our sins, that, that, that the Lord caused the punishment of all of us to fall upon him. Jesus had taught them, that's who I am. That's what I did, that the price is paid because my blood was poured out. But look, look, the Father accepted my sacrifice, and I've been raised from the dead. Death, as we say, no grave can hold him because the Father accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son, in his death on the cross. So he stands alive before them. Their, their faith in him, in what he did, their faith that he's been raised from the dead. That's the gospel in which we stand. Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 15, the first couple of chapters. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised again according to the scriptures. They got that. They had that. But here's the part, folks, that, that we just need to hear. Jesus was saying to them, you know that I died on the cross for your sins. You believe that I was raised from the dead because I'm standing here talking to you. But there is something more that you need besides just forgiveness. There's something you need that is more than freedom from the devil's right to harass you and assault you. What you need is, and the Father knows you're going to need it. And that's why he calls it the promise, the best one, the most the highest, the furthest, the greatest that the Father could ever give this promise is that his very spirit would be poured from heaven into you so that instead of being marked by weakness and inconsistency and habits that cripple you and things you can't quit that you know you need to quit but you're, you're prison to, all of those things that you need power over and power through, it is the promise of the Father to bestow upon you the power to walk in freedom, the power to be a witness, the power to be the man or woman of God that you want to be. Folks, and listen, I... I know I'm talking to some folks today that, that would just, just have to say, in, in all honesty, we're here in church, you know, we're, we're here. We're, but I've given up on this thing because I know I can't do it. I mean, I, the problem is not knowing what I ought to do or what I ought not to do. The problem is that I can't do what I want to do or need to do, and I can't stop doing what's killing me. I can't do it. So, so for us to be forgiven for the power of the blood of Jesus to wash us clean, awesome. But what about my next temptation? What about my next shot when somebody's coming to me with something that has bought my soul and is destroying me when I don't have the power to walk away? Now, we can balk up and flex up and talk tough and stomp around like we own the world, only problem is we don't have a no. We don't have a no. And we need to have, by the power of the living Jesus, the power to say no, as well as the power to say yes. The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Taking into account the victory of the cross, 
taking into account the suffering, obedience, yieldedness of Jesus, and he's the one who's been given the name that's above every name. But look at, I'm getting ahead of myself here. If y'all just wouldn't be so good and easy and a joy to preach to, the services would get over sooner, you know. So just look a little bored and I'll hush, or maybe, maybe. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 32. This is, this is Peter preaching, okay? Now, folks, this is Peter the chicken. This is Peter, Simon Peter the coward. This is Simon Peter the one who denied that he even knew Jesus three times. What in the world's happened to Peter? When you go from that night in Caiaphas' house in that courtyard and you come to this point where on the day of Pentecost the Spirit is poured out, the ones in the upper room are filled with the Spirit, and then they leave that room and they start doing just exactly what Jesus said they would do when the Spirit came upon them. They start opening their mouths to declare the glory of Jesus and the power of the cross and the victory of the resurrection and all the things that Jesus alive now would be able to do. But look at verse 32, and this is Peter still continuing. And I got to just say this. This is a fisherman talking. I'm not trying to say anything about the academic or intellectual level of fishermen at this point. But what I am saying is, this guy wasn't raised in Bible school. He, he didn't, he wasn't the son of the high priest. He was a fisherman on Galilee. But you get to reading what this guy says. He's quoting scripture. He's making application from Old Testament to the current time. There's a boldness and a freedom and an articulateness that wasn't native to him. And I'll tell you something else. He goes on to write the books of First and Second Peter many years later. Greek scholars today, seminary teachers and professors and academicians will pick up the books, the letters of First and Second Peter, and hold them up as examples of excellent Greek syntax, an excellent Greek grammar, and excellent Greek communication. Where did he get that? <laughs> when all he knew was nets and tides and winds and people he had to put up with, where did he get the power? to be the witness for Jesus that Jesus had ordained and picked him out to be. When all he knew was boats and docks and nets and smelly fish, how did he go from that and then to the place of cowardice when he wouldn't even own the name of Jesus to this place where he's standing up not hiding behind, not waiting for somebody else to speak out of the 120 who were all filled in the upper room. He steps up. Folks, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father. What would the promise of the Father look like in you? What would the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Spirit of the living Jesus into your chest, into your brain? into your heart. What would the promise of the Father look like? The great thing about the book of Acts is there is a diversity, there is a variety of what those expressions would be. You can't, you can't clone it. You can't say everybody always spoke with tongues or nobody ever did. 
or there's always got to be water baptism, or there can't ever be water baptism. It's as if it's all over the map as to what the expressions were. And I challenge you to say and prove that that's not true just from reading the book of Acts. Instead of coming to the book of Acts with an already figured out formula of this is that and this is the other. No, just let the Bible say what the Bible says. And what the Bible will say is there are many various ways in which this promise of the Father will be demonstrated in a human. But here's the one great constant and exactly what Jesus said it would be. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The ability to do some things that you had never been able to do before. The word power means capacity. It means ability. But this dunamis, you shall receive power, it carries with it another word that, that's, that helps to explain and, and, and intensify the word, that word dunamis or power. It means inherent power. All right. What that means is that there is one substance or one object that is stuck together with another object so closely, so intensely that you can't separate the two. Here, here's, here's, here's what he said. The Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon Isaiah for the writing of the book of Isaiah and then would lift. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon various judges or kings or like David and Goliath to come upon him and he would be mighty in spirit for that moment in time. But it was a coming and a lifting. It was a coming and a lifting. This is one more indication in the book of Acts and the use of this, this idea of, of dunamis and the power that there is, there is the fusion. There is the irreversible, the irreversible fusion of one object with another object such that the two can't be separated. You shall be, you, you, shall, you shall have power. You shall know power when the Spirit of the Lord has come upon you. And folks, listen, let me just ask you this question. Can we honestly say that about our Christian life at this point? That, that there, is, there is an evidence of power, registered, resonant power, that when I am weak, he is strong. And I've come to accept that, that when I'm in weakness, he's going to show himself strong. It may be attitudinally, it may in ability, it may be in, different, in an ability, it could be any number of things. But, but what, what, what happens if we were never told about the promise of the Father? We were never told that there was anything beyond just praying to receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. I'm forgiven, and then I'm handed a Gospel of John. I'm handed a Bible, and I'm taught how to do a, a quiet time, and I'm, and I'm taught to read certain sections, but nobody ever said anything to me. This isn't the promise of the Father. The Bible isn't the promise of the Father. It contains many promises, but if you're going to look at what the definite article and the specific noun apply to, it's not the completed canon of Scripture. What is it? It's something better than a love letter. It's something better than a rule book. It 
is that the living presence of the one who wrote the love letter, the one who fashioned the rules for right and hope and good, that that very one would move into you so that it's not just my strength, but it is his strength. It is not just my mind power, but it is the mind of Christ. It is not just my inabilities, but oh my goodness, folks, it's his ability. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Some of us, some of us, that's right, he'll do it. <laughs> he will do it. Some of us don't even know we have the right to pray that prayer. We feel like we're supposed to read the scripture and copy the scripture. And, and do what, and that's exactly right. That's what we're supposed to do. But let me, let me, let me get back to the, get back to this. Acts chapter 2, look, look, look again. Verse 32, Peter is preaching and he's saying, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. But watch now what he does. They, they were smitten, they were struck. What do we do? Verse 38, now watch these words carefully, church. Peter said to them, repent. Let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Then you read on down, verse 41, so then those who had received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone felt, kept feeling a sense of awe. That, that, that's what it says. Nowhere does it say, nowhere does it say that all 3,000 spoke in tongues like 120 did. No, find it. The assumption can be by some theological perspectives that it, that, that had to be the way it happened. But you, got, you, you can't say the Bible exactly says it. Now, that may have been the way it was. But you can't prove it from the Scripture. You can't prove it from the Scripture. Well, on the other hand, some folks say, well, I, I don't understand that, so I don't think I ever want to. I'm not going to ask the Lord to fill me with his spirit because he might do something weird with me. You know? But if in the, in the process of him doing something that from this perspective you'd think was weird, but in the long run, you've got joy. In the long run, there's power over stuff that used to call you a slave. You've got freedom. There's a sense of joy. There's a sense of purpose in your life. Then, Lord, if you want to do something weird, bring it. Bring it. <laughs> because this, what, the way it's been going, it just, that, that's worse than worse. Lord, I... The promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father is that you would know his power in your life, his power in your mind, his power in your heart, 
His power over your memories. His power, his power, his power. The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Now, I want to I just quickly say this. It seems as if there is a correlation between folks receiving the promise of the Father, the, the outpouring of the Spirit, when there is a desire for that, when there is a longing for that, when there is a seeking. Jesus, Jesus would say, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him? I'll tell you this. There's some folks who come to know Jesus and they're in a hell of a marriage or they're working in a hell hole or there, there are things that are going on that, that cause them to realize, God, if you don't give me the strength, I won't be able to do anything. So it, it may not be this long gap between coming to know Jesus and then later on coming into some sense of desperation, Lord, fill me. It's possible that the Lord could do this simultaneously. And, and many of you perhaps would give that testimony. I, I don't know where the power came from, except that I know when I prayed to receive Jesus and I stood in my place of great need, he is the one who set me free. He is the one who broke the shackles. He is the one who put joy in my heart. He is the one who put a song in my heart. And, and so to be filled with the Spirit simultaneous with coming to know him as your, as your Lord, that certainly can happen. But it is not the case in everyone. You know, these, find, find, um, find again um, the gospel, not the gospel, we're in Acts, we're in Acts. Find chapter 9 in your book. Acts chapter 9. The apostle Paul is not the apostle Paul yet. He is Saul of Tarsus. He's mean as a snake, crooked as a dog's hind leg. He has no soul in a sense. He has no heart. He's getting orders from the higher-ups to go and track down these heretics. He believed they were heretics, followers of Jesus. He believed that Jesus, because cursed is any man who hangs upon a tree, he assumed Jesus Christ was a false Messiah, and he was misleading multitudes, and so he was out to, to shut down that heresy on his way to Damascus. And you remember that amazing story. It came about that as he journeyed, this is 9-3, he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and it shall be told what you must do. He does that. He's led into the city. And the Lord encounters one of his followers named Ananias and tells Ananias that he needs to go and deliver a message to Saul to which Ananias begins to protest with the Lord. I've heard about this man. But the Lord says, you go, verse 15, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Folks, listen, there's some folks sitting here in this room and some people listening to me today. God has a plan for your life that is different than anything you could imagine for your life. 
He has a desire to take you places and do more with you and equip you with with inherent power to be able to be a bright light for his good and his glory instead of a dark light to suck people to hell. He wants to show what he can do in a life if you'll just let him, if you'll just open. That, That first of those three word prayers, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. He is a savior. He specializes in saving. He knows how to reach down into the mess and pull that up and close into his own breast. He knows how to rescue. He knows how to deliver. He knows how to save. Jesus, save me. Because he has a purpose and he has a plan that you wouldn't believe. Saul could not have imagined. Peter could not have imagined. But we're talking about Saul of Tarsus right here. This was exactly opposite. This was the opposite of what he thought truth was. He thought Jesus was a phony. Jesus was a fake. Jesus appears in a light and calls his name. And he knew, he knew that Jesus was no joke. Or so Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and read the book of Isaiah. Hmm? So that you may memorize the book of Psalms. Now what he says, so that you may regain your sight and be filled (laughs) with the Holy Spirit. How important is this? How important is this that that we receive Jesus as Savior and that we understand that he desires to fill us with his own spirit and that we're open to that and we welcome that? Paul would become, Saul would become the Apostle Paul. He would end up writing two-thirds of that New Testament's in your lap this morning but he wouldn't be able to write a syllable until he was filled with the Spirit of God. The promise of the Father, the promise of the Father is the outpouring of the Spirit, the drenching of your insides and my insides with the presence of the Spirit of the living Jesus Christ. And it is incumbent upon us when we read it here, when we see it, and when we notice, I've been saved. I, I mean, I feel like I've been to the cross. I feel like I've been washed. I feel like heaven is my home. The Father is, is my heavenly Father. But I notice inconsistency in my life. I notice the desire to do, but then always falling short. I notice that there are still places where I'm a slave instead of being ruler over. What if it's in those places that we understand the application of the promise of the Father. Where I am weak, Paul would say, this is what I've learned, this is what I've got, this is how it helps me. He doesn't change your suicide, he doesn't change your street address, he doesn't move you out of a difficult place, he just does something on the inside of you that, so that those kinds of things don't own you like they used to own you. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns in your heart. And it says the joy of the Lord is what? Is your strength. 
So instead of whatever this means about being filled with the Spirit, means a drudgery and a taskmaster and a hard, heavy, scary, crazy kind of load, what if it is that in a way that you had never known, the Lord wants you to know His joy? He's aware of all of the bad stuff on planet Earth. He's aware of all of the abuse. He's aware of all of the lying. He's aware of all of the cheating. He's aware of all of the warring and all of that stuff. But it still says that he is joyful. That it, the heart of who he is is not depressed, is not worried, is not scared, is not frantic, is not disoriented. Joy rules in the Savior's heart. And so you may be standing in a very unhappy place. You may be in the middle of some very difficult circumstances. This isn't talking about the external being altered and changed necessarily as much as it is about the inside being changed. Same old Knucklehead, same old cranky people, same old negative, same old vindictive. They can just keep on being that way till the day they die. But it doesn't have to own you. It doesn't have to rule over you when the promise of the Father is your present and daily application. Jesus, so he, he says... You know, we, we read that in Acts chapter 2, that it was Jesus receiving from the Father the promise of the Father, and he's the one who has poured out this which you both see in here. So it is Jesus. It's an accurate prayer. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. I heard within the last couple of days a very godly great-grandmother say that on occasion recently she woke up and she was reminded of a statement that a preacher that she had heard years ago, a statement he had made about the devil, that it can seem like some days the devil wakes up before you do. And he stands right there by the side of your bed. And before you lift your head up off the pillow, he's already talking to you. He's already saying you're a loser or you're, you're not respected or you're not loved or you're not wanted and all of those things. And when we don't have any, anything to to fight it back, it, it can be very overwhelming. And she just said, it was, it was crushing me. And I knew it was the devil. I knew it was the lies of the enemy. But somehow that sense in my heart, it was, it was getting to me. And then this is what she said. I just began to say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, help me. And she said with a twinkle in her eye, and he did. That something, not in the atmosphere of the room, but something in the atmosphere of her heart began to lift. 
The cloud lifted, the heaviness lifted, the the daggers and talons and fangs of the lies lifted. And joy returned. and Perspective was as it needed to be. That the enemy was face down. The enemy lost his grip because of that simple prayer, Jesus, fill me. There are no busier humans on the face of the earth than moms with little ones at home, little ones plural especially. There's never been a perfect mother, never will be. You know, as soon as you feel like you got that one down right, then here comes number two or number three, and they are off the chart. Where did they come from? And the confusion can be, the helpless can be, Lord, what do I do? I'm in over my head. The promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father. The best promise, the greatest promise, the highest promise, the most of a promise is that his heart is to pour the helper out into you. Right where you are, not just in this church building. Somebody say, well, Pastor, what kind of church is it you want? Here's the kind of church I long for. That I get these reports from these mamas with, with two and three and four babies in the house, all in diapers and all with a pacifier stuck in their mouth and the mountains of clothes and a husband coming home saying, well, where's, the time, where's my time in your life? You say, well, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm divided 60 different directions. For that mother to be able to say, somehow, some way, as I just began to pray, <laughs> Standing in the middle of diapers, standing in the middle of dishes, standing in the middle of pacifiers, some of them connected, some of them who knows where. (laughs) Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Get a call back from an electrician or carpenter to say, Pastor, I was in the middle of something. I didn't know which way to go. I saw the diagram. I saw the schematic. But I didn't know what exactly to do. And, and, and Jesus filled me. Some way, somehow, the confusion lifted. And I saw right where to stick that Phillips head. And I knew exactly the length of that drywall screw. And I knew exactly where it was supposed to go. And I'm telling you, yeah. The promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father. Dream big, folks. Can you imagine that? There is one promise greater than any other promise that the Father God, who is infinitely good and infinitely loving, there is one promise that he's promised you. And that is that his heart is to pour out his life, the life of himself, the life of Jesus the Son, the Spirit, the Spirit into you so that you begin to know his power. And he desires for it to be so welded to the new creation that you are in Christ that you understand that when you're in a place that's greater than your ability, it's no match, it's no stretch for what he's able to do. So we stop being afraid of impossible situations. All we want to know is, Lord, do you want me there? And if he wants me there, Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. You get a new job, Jesus, fill me. You meet new people, Jesus, fill me. You need answers to questions that are beyond your ability and background and training, Jesus, fill me. 
He has a way of helping. <laughs> now, I know, I know some of you looking at this. You say, that's a crazy man up there. That's a crazy man up there. That's a crazy man. Crazy because I believe, and many in this room would believe, it's the truth. It's the truth. There's, there's no reason that there could be the kind of change in the lives of people in this room and many who are watching out there. The only reason you're different is that the power of the living Christ, you welcomed in, not just the forgiveness, thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross, but thank you, Lord, that you were raised from the dead. Thank you, Lord, that you earned the right to gather the garnish from the Father, his promise, the greatest of all the promises, and you are able, Lord Jesus, to pour out and into me the promise of the Father, which is your resurrected life inside me. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. He said, it's not just for a select group. It's not just for the ones in the Vatican. It's not just for the ones in Nashville, the Baptist. It's not, it's not, just, not just for this select little super. He says, this promise, Peter says, this promise is for you and your children and everybody else that God would call unto himself. This isn't for a select group. This is for everybody who owns Jesus as Savior and Lord. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, the preacher can shout. The preacher can holler. The preacher can read the scripture. But Lord, it's only you by your spirit who can make this real to us. Lord, I ask you, Pour out your spirit upon your people such that we will be open to and desirous of and even hungry for everything that you want us to know and experience and walk in that is contained in your promise to us. For perspective, Lord, it helps us to remember that you didn't all of a sudden shift everybody who would be persecuted greatly in Jerusalem. You didn't all of a sudden change their street address. You didn't all of a sudden move them back to peaceful Galilee or move them to some uncontentious realm of the world. They stayed right where they were, right in the middle of Jerusalem. Same people who were after Jesus would come after them. The difference now was the spirit of Jesus poured out within them, them realizing that apart from him, I can't do anything, so I'm drinking deeply of him. Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me. Every second I'm awake that I feel my need, my lack, my inadequacy. Jesus, fill me. And we are here today. 2,100 years later because the promise of the Father was operational in that early church and generations since. 
Lord, don't let us miss it. Don't let us miss this. Don't let us miss this. Don't let us be trying to substitute the Bible for the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit. Don't, don't let us be trying to, to, to substitute learning and spiritual learning and even spiritual fellowship for this empowering that has to come straight from you. Remind us of that simple prayer. I ask you, Lord, do it, please, strongly. Wake us up in the middle of the night. Remind us in the middle of a business meeting. Remind us in the middle of a text chain. Remind us in the middle of an email conversation. Remind us in the middle of whatever. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. And we ask for faith to trust you to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen.